Welcome to the Basketball Missionary Podcast. This podcast is about everything that we do to make an impact on and off the court. I'm excited because I got my man, Austin Schultz from Origins Basketball. Now, for you guys that don't know about Origins Basketball, it's a basketball ministry that basically is on a global scale. They're using basketball, one, to tell the story of how basketball got uh, founded, the story a lot of people don't know, but also how to use basketball to make an impact for Jesus, how to share the gospel. And they're doing this um, not just here in America, but all over the world. So, Austin, welcome in, brother. Thank you, Phil. Um, honestly, such so humbled to be here just to, to share. Uh, it's wild that from one little TikTok DM, bro, uh, we're here now talking about Origins Basketball, Hoops for Christ, Missions, it's awesome, bro. So I have learned so much from you. So it really is just such a privilege and an honor for me to be here today, man. Well, fun story. He just brought up this TikTok, a little context. So I made a TikTok about being a basketball missionary. And this is why I, I believe in social media, especially using it for, um, you know, higher calls. He sees it and he's like, wow, hey, you, you're a basketball missionary. We've got something that's like a basketball missionary boot camp. So I I clicked this guy's profile. He's like sending messages about the <laughs> Lord. He's uh, doing prayers on tick, man. He's got snow coming down behind him. I say, man, this Real snow, bro. That was... head, man. <laughs> and that's how we connected and started this relationship. So uh, let's so get good. right into it, Austin. Tell yes. me about what Origins Basketball is, and this amazing story. Um, I actually just told the story in L.A. when I was speaking wow. and in San Diego. I always reference you guys. So tell them about Appreciate the Origins it. of Basketball. People know about James Naismith, but maybe they don't know the host. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, no, that's awesome. And real quick, to go back to the TikTok thing, what was funny was – the basketball missionary, I saw that handle, and I was like, who is this guy calling himself the basketball missionary? That's what we do. That's what we want to be. And, you know, it wasn't actually just me. There was another guy who I was also talking to who followed you. He's like, yeah, there's this other guy named the basketball missionary. I don't even know who he is, but he's doing some cool stuff. And so with all that to say, you checked out, bro. You were the real deal, and now we're here. Um, but appreciate <laughs> you sharing the story, man, and the love with that and honestly I you know I can't take credit for it it's not our story it's not my story it, it honestly it's it's God's story and what he you know put on James Naismith's heart over a hundred years ago and for me um you know it kind of started I, I've been in full-time missions for about seven years spent time in India Indonesia moved to the Philippines in 2018 um and then left for a few years in 2020 moved back just this uh, this winter in February. Um, and when I was back in India in 2017, India has, you know, so, so many people. And then also so many people who don't, you know, have never heard of the name Jesus or heard of, you know, heard the gospel. And I was just overwhelmed with the, with the millions and millions of people who've never heard of the name Jesus. And with that, I just felt a burden, really a burden for those people. And how do I go engage those people? How do you reach those people? And, you know, you can travel 20 minutes in India and they're speaking a different dialect. They're speaking a different language. Uh, but something that, you know, we see 
that transcends all of that is, you know, sports. You can go and play soccer, you can go and play cricket, you can go play basketball, and that really is that bridge. And so for me back in 2017, that's kind of where it all started in my heart. And then I kind of just took a deep dive, you know, with basketball being the sport that I grew up playing um, and was kind of my passion. I just started to look, what is happening right now with, with basketball missions, who's doing things. And in that, I came across a quote that said, to win men to the master through the gym, which, mm. you know, sounds a little bit odd with, with old English master and things like that. But the quote was by James Naismith. And I was like, what? Okay, I knew say James, that James Naismith. James said... Naismith quote was to win men to the master through the gym. And mm. in quotes, it was James Naismith. And for me, I'm like, I knew, you know, I grew up knowing that James Naismith was the founder of basketball. And I know we claim it as an American sport, but James Naismith is actually from Canada and I am from Canada. So I take that, uh, that <laughs> basketball was invented by a Canadian. I proudly take that. Um, but so I, I saw that and that was intriguing for me to realize, well, maybe there's a deeper narrative to this story than I originally knew. And that's when I kind of just started researching, looking things up and began to realize there is, you know, there, it's not like there's just loads and loads of stuff on it. But if you dig in the right places, you actually find some incredible stuff. And just the story of James Nath James Naismith is just, it's so rich. There's so many different uh, narratives and stories and even themes throughout the story. That's, I think, so unique. One of it, you know, he was from Canada at 15, around 15. He felt a call into ministry. He grew up, from what I understand, I think he was, his parents both passed away when he was young. He grew up with a relative raising him. Um, and when he got old enough, finished school, he actually went to seminary. So he went to Montreal Presbyterian Seminary. But while he was in seminary, he actually felt that he would be more effective in a gym than he would be from preaching from a pulpit if he was going to engage the younger generation, which, you know, is very unique. This is the late 1800s. There was still a bit of a tension with sports and even the church at this point. I don't know. You know, there's, there's, there's a bit of history on that because of, you know, the Greek history with it. There was, there was a bit of tension with it, but he still was intrigued with it. So he actually left. Montreal, and he went down to, at that point, all there was, you know, was the YMCA, the Young Men Christian Association, um, which, you know, people came through, they played sports, they worked on discipleship, and he put an application in to the YMCA, and on the application was where that quote came in. His goal is where, that's where he wrote, to win men to the master through the gym. That's where that quote came from, was actually in his application in joining the YMCA, which I think was wild. It just shows that was his why. His why was he wanted to lead men to Jesus and do it through the gym because he felt it would be more effective than if he did that doing it from a pulpit. So he goes down, joins the YMCA, um, and at that point, you know, there. this is 18 you know, 1890s, late 1880s, and they're just, you know, they're playing the sports they, they have at that point, you know, just like rugby, soccer, football, and they want something in the winter they can play indoors because I haven't been to Springfield, Massachusetts, but from what I heard, it's pretty cold on the east in uh, the winters. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's I'm from brutal, Canada. Man. I'm I'm from the West Coast, which Vancouver. You know, we get we get cold, but we still we still don't get what I've heard about from out east. Um, and I can't imagine, you know, how bad it would be playing football, tackle football, or whatever, you know, without the same kind of equipment we got today. But doing that in the winter, so they asked, "Hey, can you create a winter sport?" And he didn't really want to, but he did. So he tried to. He and you know he had reference of different things, I guess, with soccer, and he was at that point like, think about it, like there was no other sport that was anything close to basketball. Like, there was no other sport where there was, from my understanding, where there was an elevated goal. Like, everything yeah. else, except for in, you know, football where they kick through, like, you know, for a field goal. But aside from that, there wasn't really elevated goal. There wasn't anything to do with dribbling except for soccer with their feet. So, when you're, you know, he's trying to think through where this could be. We just look at basketball today and we think, oh, well, this is where it came from. But, no, he was trying to reference from what he knew. And first game happened, and it was a mess. People got hurt. I think it was like 8-on-8 or 11-on-11. It talks about in the book that his family wrote with him before he passed away called The Origins of Basketball. Uh, You can get it on Amazon. Great book. Goes through the original rules, all that stuff. But ended up creating the game. And his goal, when James Naismith set out to create basketball, he said his goal was to see young men discipled in their spirit, body, and soul through the game. He, he, his goal wasn't to just, you know, create a game where, you know, people could come in, do whatever. He wanted to create a game that was fun, that was competitive, but that through the game, he could actually teach principles on, you know, that would help people in their, in their walk with Jesus, which I think was so, so unique. Um, and that's not what we, we don't see that today. We don't understand that today, but that was the humble beginnings of basketball. It was literally by a man who worked at a YMCA in 1892, invented this game simply as a way to get young men into a gym out of the cold so he could teach them about Jesus. He could teach them about how they grow in their spirit, body, and soul. And I think so what's... Would you yeah, say, go ahead, bro. Sorry to cut you off, but would you say that James Naismith was the first basketball missionary? Is it safe to say that? I think I think it's probably safe to say that. I know I know you you take that on and you you well, put that I, as the handle, bro. But I think hundred percent. That makes me like the fact that he is a basketball missionary. He created the game, and its roots and its origins was a tool for missionaries to yeah. share the gospel. And I think I believe you tell me this of how crucial. When he was thinking through how he's going to create the sport, I believe you were the one that told me he decided not to put a stick or equipment in the sport or the rules like golf or like tennis mm. because he thought this would be a rich man sport. And we uh-huh. wouldn't be able to use it as a tool to go to third world countries or to share the gospel abroad. Am I correct on that? That, that, if that, I didn't, I don't remember telling you that, but if someone else told you that is, that's powerful because I see, you know, soccer is still king around the world and it, it probably will be just because of how easy it is. But aside from that, basketball is, I've been to places around the world where you, you can't even imagine that they would have a hoop, but they have a hoop like six, seven hours trek like on a motorbike and then trekking into an area where they have never seen foreigners before they have bamboo huts don't have running water or nothing like that 
but they have a basketball court. They got a hoop. This this metal ring that they somehow bent, I don't know how they bent it in a circle, wood backboard, just paneled wood backboard, and they got a hoop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they use what they can to shoot with. They, if they have a ball, if they make a ball, like, it's it's a cheap, you know, it's a sport that's actually affordable for people to play, and anyone can play it around the world, which I think is, you know, why it's a beautiful tool. And I think to go back to what you're saying with, you know, James Naismith being the first basketball missionary, like basketball itself, the first people who played it for the longest, for a while, was was literally pastors, Christians, and missionaries. Like until KU, so Kansas University, adopted the game, it was literally just played by the YMCA. And even when KU adopted the game, the only team that they really played against was other YMCA teams. Like they'd come to Kansas City and they'd play against the YMCA there because there was no one else who was really playing at that point. You know, so it's it's just a very unique and humble beginning to where where we see it today, and even how the game spread globally, which was interesting. We went to me and my friend Jonathan. Um, Phil knows Jonathan, just yeah, you know, amazing, amazing leader in the missions movement. Shout out to Jonathan. But um, we went to the museum that's at KU, Kansas University, where they have the original rules for basketball paid a bunch of money for them, I think $4.3 million for that piece of paper that's in this like holy grail vault that oh. only lights <laughs> up when you're like in front of it just so it, you know, preserves yeah. the whole thing and all of that. And so they, they have all their other memorabilia from, you know, football and soccer, whatever it might be. But they have a very, very significant James Naismith Museum, like world-class. It was incredible. I was very impressed but what's interesting enough is you can't really separate the narrative. Like even they talk about how basketball spread globally in one of these this timeline thing. And it talks about how the YMCA took the game as a way to spread it globally. And at that point, the YMCA was, you know, they're, they were going on trips to, obviously at the end of the day, they were trying to see people come to know Jesus. And the game was spread through them as missionaries. Hmm. You have... 250, 200 so million people playing ball in China. Like people who brought basketball to China started with, you know, people who were like YMCA missionaries also in different parts of the Caribbean. Basketball really spread globally through people who were seeing the game as an avenue to actually engage people with the gospel, Um, which I think is very, very unique um, and very special. And James Nason himself, like I was really recently had a conversation with a guy who, he had the privilege to meet uh, some part of the Naismith family at some awards event or something like that. I think there's only one that I know of that I've heard of that's still around. I think his name is Jim Naismith. We'll love to meet him at some point if possible. But they um, they were this guy was talking to them and he said, "Hey, so I heard that Jim's, uh, James Naismith had some spiritual ambitions with the game of basketball," and they're like. Yeah, yeah, he didn't just have spiritual ambitions. Like, that was his only ambition. Whenever mm-hmm. the game got to halftime, James Naismith just preached the gospel. Like, That's that powerful. was his goal. He would preach the gospel. That was what he wanted to do. He wanted people to know their eternity that is found in Jesus. And basketball was the, the avenue to do it. And I think there's there's a few other things that I'm I'm still looking into more, but even having women involved in the sport at an early time. It was very unique at that time frame. Um, 
also having the African-American community speak into the game early on, I think was very interesting that he allowed that to happen at that time of history. So I think those are, those are also some very intriguing things with the game that I think is just very unique in you know, how we're blessed with the game we see today that's a global phenomenon. Um, Why do you but, feel like, Austin, that that part of the story, the origins of basketball, why do you feel like that gets left out? Everyone knows the story about James Naismith, the peach basket, and the YMCA, and creating the game all these years ago, but they don't know that the primary driving force behind it was to win people to Jesus, that it was a missionary tool, like you said, that that was his first and foremost goal. Why do you feel like that gets left out, or... I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with coaches or people in the basketball community go, wow, I've never heard that. I never heard that. Mm. aspect." Yeah. That's a great question. That's still something I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what that answer is. And, you know, I think we see there's, there's obvious reasons for it. Um, we, we look at the game today and you see thing when you look at basketball today, you know, it's an exciting sport. It's an amazing. It's, it's become a global phenomenon. It's, there's pro leagues in almost every country. About 2 billion fans, nearly 500 million people playing the game. But a lot of times when you look at it, you see, you know, you see ego, you see pride, you see money, you see fame. I think when you look at all of that things, you, you can begin, like we forget where, you know, the humble roots of maybe where it came, actually came from. Um, and, and within that, I think that can be, that is the louder voice that people are seeing because it's right in front of them. And I think it's easier to accept than hearing, oh, this game was actually created as a tool to see people come to know Jesus. Um, so I don't know if that completely answers your question. And I think I'm still, like I said, trying to figure out exact, you know, why, but I think at the end of the day, you know, if this game had those roots, you have an anointing and you have an authority and there's there's something that God has spoken, you know, to James Naismith about the game. Like, let's use this as a tool to reach people. There's also the opposite side of that that doesn't want that story to be told. Um, you know, you have you have the, the, the evil side of what we see in the world that doesn't want that story to be told. Because if you tell the story of how basketball really started, you can't separate how Jesus, how God was involved with that. And mm-hmm. how it's a beautiful story of God partnering with us as mankind, which goes back to, you know, really his heart that he is in Revelation 21.3, that he's going to come back. He's going to dwell with his people. We're going to have communion with him. And it's a beautiful picture of God, you know, working through us as a way to see his kingdom expand. And that's, you know, that's something that I think a lot of the times is is not what the world necessarily wants to hear. And, um so that's that's kind of maybe some of just my thoughts, um, but yeah, man. So what do you? So let's do this. You've got the overall vision of it and this amazing story. Which, dude, once every time I hear this, it gets me pumped up because <laughs> it, it almost it's a stamp, dude. It's a it's like we get back to the purest form of basketball. When I think of basketball, I always think of it from the fact that it's a universal language. I've talked about this many times. Many of the teams that I played for, many of my teammates did not speak English overseas when I played professionally. But we connected and bonded because of our passion and love for the game. I've trained now people that are deaf, adults and kids that are deaf. So they force me to be a better teacher, think through things differently, 
But as I said, the common denominator is basketball. It's a universal language. It brings us together. You're a missionary in the Philippines that is basketball crazy. Basketball crazy. is the number. But I tell people all the time, you have no idea. I played professionally there. I've been in the slums. You've been in the slums. You've been into all different parts and provinces. Basketball is bigger, more beloved. They're more passionate about it in the Philippines than America. We have made, we may have invented the sport, but from top to bottom, it's hard for you to comprehend the passion and how it brings people together. And that is the purest form of basketball to me. It's beautiful. The roots of it, though, is is God's sport. Like the yeah. mission of it, the the foundation of it is that. So tell me how you took it from this story about James Naismith kind of being lost in translation to now you have a vision to start the Origins Basketball Ministry. Like, tell me that's how good. that vision came together. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I would love to get to the Philippines in, in a little bit here because I got some stuff for that. But with that, I think, obviously, like how I started was I was compelled and convicted by the, the billions of people who've never heard the gospel. Around 2.2 billion people around the world who have not heard the gospel had an adequate re representation of who Jesus is. So when I heard that you know basketball had this this story that was unique, and within that it was meant to be a game to see people come to know Jesus, we said, how do we create an experience? Like how do we how do we bring people into that story where they're not just actually hearing it, but they're actually walking through it themselves? They are understanding because at the end of the day, like if you want to be a basketball missionary, if you want to use this game, if you want to follow whatever it might be God's purpose for your life, you have to experience what it looks like to be a son, to be a daughter. Like you actually have to experience that. And we, we, we said, okay, this game is far bigger and had a far bigger purpose than we ever imagined. We got to grab a hold of this narrative. We got to keep this legacy going. We got to take that, put that fuel and just put it on the fire that we already had. Like for you, bro, like you had, you were, you were pumping out content. You were pumping out think, the hoops for Christ, the basketball missionary before you even knew the story. Mm. Um, we found out the story and we're like, we got to just use that as fuel. Like we are already zealous to see the nations reached, to see every tribe, every tongue reached with the gospel. Let's use this game of basketball. and Let's use the story that God spoke into it. Okay. Now to, how do we practically make this into an experience that people can come along into it? Because we feel like this is a story that needs to be told, but we also feel like it's something that every athlete and coach who's willing to can actually experience on their own, which is first and foremost, understanding that your identity is not found in the game. How do you strip your identity of being found in the game is how you perform as a player, how you perform as a coach, finding that in Jesus. Because when you find that in Jesus, you begin to coach, you begin to play from a different level of freedom. So how do we bring someone into that mm. where they are able to play from a true sense of freedom, freedom, able to coach from that true sense, which obviously there's different things that, you know, we, we created on, on topics to bring people through trainings and sessions to bring people to. But then from that, okay, when we find that place of freedom, the next level was the game was meant to actually to be used as a tool to reach people with the gospel. So then how do you deploy people? How do you activate people in that? How do you activate coaches? 
So that's what we, you know, we, we realize, okay, let's take this story. Let's apply it to coaches, athletes, and trainers. Let's have them find their identity in Jesus. And then let's activate them to go do it. Like, let's go do it. Let's not just talk about it. Let's not just, you know, say, hey, that's a great idea, but let's go put them in a situation where they now can use the game as a way to reach people with the gospel. From that point, their life will be changed forever. And that's what we, that's, you know, that's what we saw. Um, Does that kind of answer your question? I know that was maybe a little bit broad. Um, No, absolutely. Because I wanted them to hear what the passion and the vision was behind it. So you launched this now. So let me, mm. let me usher you into year one, last year. You get me on board, you get Tyler Colson on board, you get Mike Lee on board, you have YWAM, which we haven't even touched, your backing of your missionary organization with other missionaries that I met and become um, connected to now and love. And then you have just a ragtag array of coaches, trainers, college players, um, pastors, missionaries that all come together in Kansas City for a week or so and then do a mission trip in the Bahamas. So tell me mm. about that aspect of year one, maybe testimonies. Yeah. Did it go how you expected it? How did it impact other people's life? I mean, I can jump in uh, after you and just tell you how Origins has impacted my life. That's why I'm so... I'm giving this platform to it. I'm a part of it. I told you I'm locked in for life with you guys. So tell me some testimonies about what you guys actually did from the basketball spiritual aspect and any testimonies of how it impacted people. Okay, so good. Yeah, maybe I'll I'll break it into two parts. I'll take what we did in Kansas City and then maybe you can share a little bit of your experience and then maybe we can jump into Bahamas, what that looked like, our you know first actual practical application of that. Sure. Um, but when we, when we said, Hey, let's take this story or first let's take this passion, this conviction, this story and make it into something actually practical where athletes and coaches can go through it. In my mind, you mentioned YWAM youth with a mission, probably the largest missions organization on the planet. They have missionaries in I think every single country missions campuses in every single country been around for over 60 years, very well recognized across the body of Christ. But they actually have a six-month discipleship training school that they bring people through. And we're like, does this mean we make a six-month discipleship basketball training school? And we're like, okay, that's it's possible. People have done that before. But I'm like, let's, let's just get a win. Like for year one, let's get a win. Let's do something that's a little bit more realistic, though it's still, it's still you know a challenge. But to get college-level athletes, to get coaches to commit to six months, that's you know, it's a long time. So like, let's let's make it like three weeks, three weeks to a month. Um, let's take two weeks where we are working with coaches, players, trainers, whoever is honestly willing or feel like you know compelled to come. And like 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 I said before, like let's see them find their identity in Jesus. And that's what we did. So we, we came together, like we talked, we prayed through, what do we want? What's really our objective? And that was our objective. We wanted to see their identity stripped of being found in the game and find it in Jesus. Because at one day, every sing- the ball is going to stop bouncing. The ball is not going to go the way you want it to at some point. You're not going to hit the amount of shots you want. You're not going to have the many, as many wins as you expected as a coach. And if your hope and your identity is found in that, you're going to be left broken. And 
if with all, with, you know, to honestly admit it, even me as a Christian, I had that. My identity was still found in the game. And there's, you know, I'm sure there's loads of players and coaches out there who are still struggling to find that. We're like, let's, let's just get a foundation set. So we had some, we went through, what we did is we took two weeks and we literally went through a missions and basketball experience. Like you mentioned boot camp, spiritual boot camp. That's what we did. We took time in the morning every single day, not just like a 30 minute devotion. We, we intensely went after some of the most difficult and real raw topics that you would, you know, that you could think of like to really like, let's go after who is God. And then who does God say we are? How do we how do we actually authentically have relationship with him? How do we how do we live from a how do we live from a place of knowing what he's calling us to do? How do we get freedom from pain in our life, from wounds that we've had from maybe our our parents or other coaches and walking that through with athletes which you know was powerful having these you know having these guys we had mostly guys this last year. This this year coming up, we'll have females as well. But talking through things that they never, you know, knew was you know issues that they might have, but was deeply affecting them. Guys mm-hmm. opening up to stuff. It was for me. I was just I was I was mind blown. Like that. God God wants to do that. He He really does want to bring freedom. And I think what you know one thing was interesting is we had a scrimmage the first day we showed up. We just had a pickup game. When you first show up, everyone is trying to prove himself. All these guys are trying to prove themselves that they can hoop. They're the man. Like they can, they can get their buckets. Day one, you get to day ten, day twelve, even day five or six. After these, we've you know we've walked through different levels of things, and you know walked through freedom and shared these different topics and. The style of play even was different. Guys were playing free. Guys were playing selflessly. Like it was, I had a guy come up to me. He just came for one day. He came up and hugged me. He played division two level basketball. He came up and hugged me. He's like, bro, this is beautiful. And this was in the Mm. gym. He's like, this is beautiful basketball. And a lot of that goes to in streamline from the spiritual, what we were doing in the classroom to even the player development prep that uh, Tyler Costin was doing, who you mentioned, who is just an incredible, probably like you know, probably one of the best teachers of the game, like just incredible. Absolutely. Understands the game so well and clearly communicates things in ways that you're just like, wow, this is this this is actually makes so much sense. But from the the spiritual to the the player development prep to actually what Tyler was teaching on the court when he was here, it just actually translated very well. And it was, you were on the court and it was, it was beautiful. Like it was real basketball. Like it was, it was fun to be a part of. And obviously there was, there was many testimonies of individual athletes. Um, Like one guy came up and shared, he's like, this actually redeemed basketball for me. Like from, you know, different parts of what he probably went through with coaches and, and different things in his career growing up. But he's like this, this redeemed basketball for me. It's, and it's not, it's not about the basketball side of it, but the spiritual side and how that relayed to the basketball side, it just shifted things for him. Guys, you know, guys coming up and just saying how this has been so pivotal, life changing. Like Absolutely. never could have imagined that I could experience this kind of freedom and also play from that. Um, so you know, with all that to say, like the, 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 the two week period we did was like a boot camp spiritual training. We had 
you know, spiritual sessions. And then we had guys like Tyler, Phil came in and bro, you just killed it on the court. And then bringing in different spiritual conversations on the court, like you do that better than anyone else. Um, and it was just, like you said, it was a ragtag crew. It was a very unique crew. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, like God is calling people who are unique, the ones who maybe are a little bit odd in their group, the ones who stand out. People are like, those guys are a little bit weird. But God God wants to use those people. And so that was kind of year one. Would love to hear, bro, what was kind of your, I know you call it the, what do you call it, bro? The mission, the, your spiritual retreat, the missionary, <laughs> I forget the words you use because we oh, got a coffee dude, shop there. <laughs> oh, man, you had your own baristas. Every morning I woke up, you had my coffee. Like your milk latte. Like bringing it to me, I couldn't walk on the campus without a missionary from a different country stopping me and praying for me. I mean, wow. when I just say, in my world, I'm always pouring into people. And uh, I hope this doesn't sound negative, but in most cases, people come to take from me, not to give. And so to be in that where I came there to be a coach, a trainer, and a speaker. So I came there to give. And what happened was I got filled. I got filled. That's why I'm so excited to go back here in a few weeks with you guys. But I think a couple of things I'll highlight. One, having Tyler Colson there, I didn't have, I didn't get a chance to be there when Mike was there, but I'm excited about this year. And I feel the same way about Mike from just getting to know him. But Tyler was the right person as far as building culture and standards. I mean, he was one of – he stole the show at the Committed to the Craft conference this year because so of the impact he made on me. I watched it happen in person. Again, I tell people this, and I've been in hundreds of gyms, every level. I walked into that gym because I was only there for three or four days. He had already been working with him for a few days. When I walked in the gym, it felt like he had created an energy environment where everybody had been playing together for years, not days. And I was just blown away at how he had all these different cues, you know, just coming to the middle, the amount of energy, high-fiving, are you a sheep? Are you a sheepdog? Are you are people pulling you in? Are you pulling other people in? And just, just the teaching points, I mean, truly a master at his craft when it comes to teaching the basketball. It was the right fit for what you were trying to do to complement the spiritual classes. You're on the court for a few hours. You're in the classroom for a few hours. There's the fellowship aspect. And dude, like you said, I was gaining healing from issues I had from, you know, my sister passing away. I talked about wow. that, you know, um, which I didn't plan on that, but it came up through one of the spiritual classes we were doing through the morning and then being on the court to have everyone coming intentionally in there with it, with the idea of we're, we're worshiping God between the four lines, you know, and I say all the time, when I step between the four lines of a court, that is my sanctuary. That's where I worship so God good. because that's where I feel like I'm using my gift and I feel closest to him, not necessarily in a church, you know? So I always treated the gym like my sanctuary and to have others align with that energy and focus was profound, but I'll just give you a testimony of what came out of it. One specific coach um, was Coach Todd Carson from California. He came in and 
we were in between sessions and he asked if he could ask me a few questions. So I'm like, yeah, man, come on over to my room. Uh, you know, the the hotel resort room. You guys got me on <laughs> on the missionary campus. And, and we just had a very like brother in Christ conversation about real life, about marriage, about being fathers, um, about coaching, about what direction we should take and how does this serve our family and our wife. And from that, me and me and Todd developed a good relationship, man. And we, he would, we would just check in with each other now and again. And it's because of him, he hooked me up. I became the, the baccalaureate graduation speaker at the school in LA that he's connected to. Wow. So I fly out there in LA, you know, a couple months ago, I speak at that school and that came from the relationship and the conversations we had on court, off the court, um, even to this day, I still have many of the people from Origins hitting me up and it's, it just made an incredible impact on me. And I encourage anybody to get there in person. If you can get there in person, there's an Origins weekend. There's the whole Origins of experience in Kansas City and then going to the Bahamas, but also the monthly Zoom calls. You guys do a great job of that, of the community calls. Um, could you give the dates right now, Austin, of when it's coming up here in a few weeks. Yeah, so good. Yeah, love that. Um, and with this summer, actually, July 25th through August 3rd is is the training camp that we have in Kansas City. Just kind of what I explained, incredible world-class elite basketball training. People like Phil, Tyler Costin, Mike Lee, who is actually the OG with all of this. He came up to the Philippines back in 2019 and really helped get all this stuff spearheaded and moving forward. So super excited for Mike to be coming around again. Actually, he wasn't able to come last summer, but he'll be coming this summer. Um, so that's, again, July 25th through August 3rd. Um, and within that time, you know, we have guys who really want to be a part of it, but they can't commit to 10 days. So we have a two-day opportunity where people can come through from through July 28th and July 29th, where you can come and just get a taste of really what what is going on. What is this this whole missions and basketball experience where there's incredible training spiritually and physically in the gym? Um, so that's July 28th and 29th where we have that weekend experience. Um, and then following that, we actually have the optional trip. We're going down to the Caribbean. Powerful what happened last year. If we got if we got him in, I can share briefly a little bit of what some of some of what went down last year in the in, in the Bahamas. Yes, I, w- I want you to share that. Uh, I want to close what you just said and and go into the Bahamas trip because it was amazing all the stuff that happened there. But I have a lot of basketball coaches, trainers, people that are involved in the game. They can't commit to a long period of time, but those dates. For the weekend experience, that's the what you say, the 27th, 28th, 29th? July 28th um, through the 29th. So it's full okay. day, July 28th, so you probably want to come in the 27th. Phil, I think you're going to be there the 27th arriving. Yes. And really our goal with those days is the 28th, we have a unique opportunity for guys who, you know, specifically for coaches and believers in the basketball industry who are looking to connect, collaborate, and really talk about what God is doing through the game of basketball. That's going to be the, that's a unique event specifically for those who are believers in the basketball industry that, you know, we're more than open to opening that conversation up to you. And that will be July 28th 
um, and the 29th as well, we'll actually be jumping into the full experience. So we will have a full day in the gym where we're going to be having different sessions throughout the morning. So we'll have gym sessions, breakout times with some, some spiritual training in with that. And then, you know, an afternoon, kind of the same of that. So really for those who want to, you know, this is intriguing to you, this whole idea of missions and basketball, maybe you're, you know, you're a believer, but you've never saw that you can bridge the two things together. Um, and basketball is only kind of being it's in its own category and, you know, church and Christianity has been its own category. Like, Hey, come get a taste of what it actually could look like to do it together. You can't mm-hmm. commit to 10 days, like come for, come for two days, come the 28th and the 29th, come get a little taste of how basketball and missions really can come together and get connected with some amazing people who are doing it. Like people mm. all across North America, people who are doing missions in South America, in the Caribbean, in Asia, like just come get connected. Come, like Phil talks about it. Like we as coaches and trainers pour out all the time. Everyone is always asking or needing stuff from us. Like just come get poured into. So that's that's a little bit, bro, for the weekend experience. If you guys are interested, hit us up. Would love to. Would love to see you there with us this summer. Yeah, I, w- I would highly encourage people. They can carve out two days. So many coaches and trainers around the country that have expressed interest in doing it. I'm going to be there, but just a great time to grow in the basketball aspect and the spiritual aspect. So I really encourage you guys to get out there and get connected. And let's close on what happened in the Bahamas, Austin. Let's go. So yeah, let's mentioned. do that. Yes. Tell me about yeah. what happened this mission trip in the Bahamas following that week or week and a half in Kansas city. So good. Yeah. So really, like we said, week in Kansas city, let's get people that find their identity in Jesus, get them activated. How do you share your faith? How do you share your story? And we actually make this part of the trip optional. So the whole experience, the time in Kansas city, you come through to that. If you don't have, you know, some people didn't have the means or the time or the schedule to commit to the Bahamas, so it was optional. But we had this optional trip. We were kind of thinking through some options. It was still in a little bit of an odd season with COVID. And Phil, you were actually deeply connected to why we went to the Bahamas because we were looking at other, we were looking at other parts of Asia was a bit difficult because flights were a little hard to figure out at that point with COVID and restrictions. So we're like, the Caribbean is close. We looked at a few options in uh I think Barbados and Jamaica and I was talking to you and you said, Hey, we work with this guy, Marvin Henfield, Marvin Henfield. Incredible. Shout out to you, bro. Um, but it feels like I did a camp with him back in the day. My brother, that's the Godfather. Yeah. Marvin is the man, the OG. I did a camp with Marvin in 2019. Actually he flew into Louisville with his team, uh, some players and they were in a big AAU tournament. I got connected through a mutual friend. They told me this group is in from the Bahamas. We went in, trained them, man, did a devotional, prayed with them. And that's kind of where that relationship sparked. I did a family trip to Atlantis in Bahamas, uh, maybe a year or two later. And I hit up Marvin. He's like, let's do it, man. Let's, let's do a camp together. So I ran a camp for them in the Bahamas and that's kind of our mutual connection. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So that's where we got that that connection. We reached out to him. And what we did is we took took a team down there for about 10 days, mixture of players, coaches, and we had Marvin help us set up some local clinics in kind of the inner city area, which was awesome. Youth youth camps and just just saw God move from 
day one through day four of these camps, kids who, what happened within a week? People who, kids were who were, all reality, very difficult to deal with, disobedient, not listening, but at the end getting to a point where like, like there was this one kid, his name was Kai, giving us so much difficulty. I think he was probably seven or eight years old, would not listen, you know, would not participate, just kicking balls around, like being so difficult. Took him aside at one point. We're like, hey, we need to address this. Like, obviously, the actions that are happening on the court are because of a deeper issue. Mm. Took him aside, just had a real conversation with him. Just had a real conversation with him and just actually showed him attention. Instead of just getting frustrated and irritated, showed him attention. And the rest of that day, he still was a little bit difficult. Came back the next day. The kid was complete. I was shocked. I was like, this cannot be the same kid. He was he was bringing energy, like grab helping people come together to participate. He was paying attention. He was telling other people to pay attention. And I was, I was shocked. I was like, what in the world? Like, and it's not because of anything that we did. It was because that kid at the end of the day needed to care, see that someone cared because obviously he had stuff going on. It was at home. And that's one story. And you guys see that all the time with Phil with what you guys get to do. And another thing that we actually did was he had an opportunity to play in Phil. I mean, uh, Marvin opened up the door for us to play in Maximum Security Prison, um, which was a complete God story how that even happened. It didn't really even open up until but a week before we were going to go down there. And we walk into prison, and I've been into some prisons in the, in the Philippines, but we never played basketball, and we did not know what to expect. There's only one prison in all of the Bahamas, so all the prisoners that are you know convicted and caught are in this one prison. There is a few thousand people in this thing. One of the biggest issues in the Bahamas is crime. Um, and with that, we showed up. We thought it was going to be like a three-on-three tournament. Maybe we'll play some pickup. We pull up. We go through security, everything. And they, they bring us, escort us up to this room. And we walk in. And it's like their massive boardroom where they do all their all their major meetings. And we show up. And there's like the director for national security for the whole country. There's members <laughs> of government who are there. The... The director for the prison is there. The minister for sports for the country is there. And we're just we're just all like a bunch of people who are playing basketball and love Jesus. And we're just kind of confused why we're in this situation. The national news shows up. And we didn't know anything this was even if this was going to happen. Um, and we're just sitting there and we're just like, wow, what is God? We haven't even played the game yet. And they got the national news talking to us, interviewing us about what's going on. And, and even before it started the the kind of one of the I think the director for the prison just mentioned he's like hey this on live television like this helps this really helps us remember that we need to prioritize you know our prisoners they're not just here to be held but we can actually really see them rehabilitated and this helps Mm. us remember how important these people are so with all that to said we hadn't even started yet then we get escorted to maximum security prison so there's three courts we were told that maximum security prison had the best court um, yeah, it, yeah, it was not by any means anything special except for the environment was unique as we start going into, so you go in there, it has, you know, maximum security prison. You go through another level of security. We get closer and there's, you know, dude, these guards are huge. Like there's this guard, like six, three, 350 pounds, just big boys, all super nice. But we start hearing a bunch of noise. We're like, wow, this sounds like there's a few more than like a three on three team. And we hear microphones, we hear like just a lot going on. We walk into the prison 
And then we walk into the court and we're all just shocked. Like there's tents set up. There is prisoners everywhere. There's the court. And then all around it are the prison cells, which, uh, you know, there's windows from the prisons who, you know, who, those who weren't allowed out. And we're in there and we're like, what is even going, there's an announcer who's just, just given the most comedy kind of announcement. Like it's just hilarious. And we, but the court itself was, you know, asphalt. Lines were all over the place. The rims had no forgiveness. The backboards were were just wood. The court was uneven. There was a big pile of sand in the back. There was a drain that went into open sewer in the one three-point line. So if you're shooting in the corner on the one spot, you were in the sand or you were in the sewage drain. But we played. Um, And it was... It was powerful, and we were still trying to figure out what, what, the first day. We were trying to figure out what, how to share, when to share. We did it at the end of the game, and we realized, okay, maybe let's try and do it halftime next time uh, for more engagement. Next time, the next day, we came. We play medium security, so we start with maximum. We beat them. Uh, amazing time. Share the gospel. Prayed with people. Next day, we played medium, more intense game because you got younger guys, people who've been haven't been in there as long. Played them, beat them again, built more energy for these guys they wanted to beat us so third day we come back we um we hear that so we had just done a youth camp and we're on our way back and marvin just says hey rick fox is coming to prison today and we're like rick fox like you mean like rick fox the guy who played for the lakers he's like yeah rick fox because he's from the bahamas and we're just like oh okay some of the guys in the back who are you know young like 17, 18 years old, they're like looking up who Rick Fox is because they were, you know, that was way before their time. And so we show up in prison and then again, we're brought into this boardroom and Rick Fox is there. He's sitting beside Tyler, just chopping up with Tyler. And we're like, what in the world are we doing? Like, why is Rick Fox here? This is not at all what we expected. But what had happened is because the the prison wanted to beat us so bad, they had put a prison all-star team together. So they picked the best players from all different levels of security and put them on one team and said, you guys are going to beat these foreigners. They called us Origin State, though, you know, Origins is not a state in the U.S. We were called Origin State. Um, and we had a guy on our team named Benny. He looked like Larry Bird. He was Larry Bird, and he kept us in it. But so what they did is they had, they put, they had another press conference. We shared, you know, Rick Fox shared. We went into the prison, and Rick Fox coached the prison all-star team, which was just... They had no clue Rick Fox was showing up. He walks into prison. They go, oh, boy. (laughs) Like, they were just shocked that, you know, a legend for the country shows up in prison to coach him. And just an incredible game, back and forth. Game goes to overtime. Benny gets fouled with two seconds left. And, like, these prisoners couldn't hold themselves. Obviously, they, you know, it was, they could have won the game, but they fouled him with, Two seconds left on a three-pointer. He hit two of three, which put us, we were down by two, put us in overtime. We go to overtime. We're about to play. Starts downpour rain. And we're like, <laughs> we can't, we can't play. Like the court has paint on it. Like it just became so slippery. And we're like, hey, let's just leave it at a tie. Like let's leave it at a tie. And you know, what was unique is at halftime, Rick Fox shared, and then we got to share. And every day we, we went from sharing the gospel and praying for people and it was such a unique and powerful experience because what we saw was you could have went cell to cell and preached the gospel. 
and it still could have been powerful. But what we did is we, we literally brought a ball into a court. All of a sudden, everyone was on the same level. Some of these guys maybe had been, you know, murderers. Some of these guys had been, you know, drug dealers. It didn't matter. Once you got on the court, it was everyone was on the same level. We were competing. Their guards were brought down. So when we actually had the opportunity to share the gospel, people were so responsive. We had the guy who was our announcer said this was the best week he had in prison in 18 years. Simply wow. because we played basketball, we preached the gospel, we met people right where that. We hugged people. We loved on people. We prayed for them. Like it was, and they hadn't done chapel service in two years in prison. Partially to do with COVID and everything like that. But at this point, like COVID was over. We were playing ball in prison. They hadn't done chapel in two years. They decided, hey, maybe this Sunday should be a good time for us to do chapel. Because so many guys were responding as they were, they really wanted to give their lives to Jesus. And we just saw how, you know, basketball is so much more than just simply a game. Like this actually began to could actually shift the culture in a prison. Like it could shift a culture. And that was that's just a little taste of, you know, some of what happened in the Bahamas. We went ended up going to a juvenile detention center as well. Tyler got to share his testimony. Just powerful. Ended up leading a kid to Jesus who was in Juvie. Um and we we really I think what we saw was basketball is so much more than a game it really can actually be used to shift nations. Um, and mm. Phil, you sent me a podcast a while ago by a guy from, uh, I think he's a professor at NYU, David Hollander, How Basketball Can Save the World. Mm. The dude, I, from what I understand, is not a believer, but actually writes a whole book on how basketball can change the world. And we, we saw that if you actually apply the gospel to it, it really is possible. And that was just 10 days. It really yeah. was just a little taste. So I know it was a lot, but... Um, that's a little bit of what kind of went down in the Bahamas. And we're excited to be going down there again this year, working with Marvin and the Basketball Federation in the Bahamas as well. Well, man, I can't thank you enough, Austin. Uh, like I said, you, everyone involved in Origins has made a profound impact on my life. Anyone who listened to this podcast, I highly encourage you to get plugged in like I did with Origins and what the Lord is really doing through the game of basketball. So thank you, Austin. Thank you, bro. It's been a privilege. Excited to see you here in KC in a couple weeks. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate you, man. Appreciate you too, bro.